Let's pray and we can get started. Lord God, I want to thank you this morning for uh, just the opportunity to worship you together. Lord, what a joy that is and uh, just a joy it is to have so many different songs that we can sing that just declare your glory and your praise. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning that you would be working in us, each and every one of us, Lord, to just quiet our hearts and our minds uh, and prepare us to just come before you and have a sense of who you are and how great you are and all that you have in store for us, God. And so please, I pray you would direct our eyes towards that this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning. How is everyone? Good. Yeah. Quiet. All right. Great. Christmas is this week. Who's excited? Anyone? No? Woo! Oh, yeah. We got some people excited. That's great. Yeah. We're in the fourth week of our Advent series and uh, less than a week away from Christmas. Who is listening to Christmas music almost every day? I see some hands. There we go. I'm not. I'm just trying to see your hands. Uh, I'm, I'm not the biggest Christmas music guy. I know. I'm sorry. I'm outing myself here, but I'm, I'm a little old-fashioned. Uh, my car, my phone doesn't hook up to the radio in my car, and so I just listen to the radio, right? Like, who does that? And, uh, and around this time of year, a lot of stations switch to Christmas music only, and I'm like, well, I'm not really interested right now. I just want to go to other stations, and so it can be a little inconvenient for a Scrooge like me, but I, I, I don't know. I, 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 like, I like Christmas, but I think a little bit of it, I just don't really, I don't really, the magic doesn't have the same effect on me that it seems to have on a lot of other people, and so I'm never trying to uh, quiet that or suppress that. More power to you if you're excited. I really want you to, to love that, but as you think about what your cr- favorite Christmas movies are, uh, this might kind of tell you that, you know, it might be, uh, you know, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Christmas Story, whatever, there's so many. For me, it's Die Hard. It's the movie Die Hard, right? Which, you know, is that a Christmas movie? I don't know. But for me, it's like it has like the appropriate level of action and heroism that it's just like, oh, that's, that's a fun movie. But uh, as far as that's about as far as my Christmas spirit can go sometimes. But I was thinking about this and I got convicted lately. I was like, you know, I've, I've been this way for so long, but I just, I, I just have noticed how you know, maybe I don't want to hear jingle bells another time this season, but if, uh, if there's so many other godly Christians I know who just are just really getting into the Advent season and taking this as time to just reflect on their lives and come and worship God and celebrate the story of him coming to earth, like, that was convicting for me. That, like, why am I not also worshiping? I want to be the kind of person who takes every opportunity to worship God. Amen? Are you guys with me there? And so that, wherever you're at, I think that's that's what we want to be doing. And so whether you're like me um, and you're, you're uh, maybe more on this extreme or whether you're on the other extreme and you've got your Christmas socks on right now and you want to like lift them up and show like all the snowflakes to someone or whatever, like, or you're somewhere in the middle, uh, I just want to invite you to take this as an opportunity to reflect on really what is one of the most profound moments in all of history, which is God coming to earth. Amen. Like how beautiful, how amazing is that? And so that wherever you're at, I think somewhere we all tend to lose perspective a little bit on this. We all tend to lose a little bit of the sense of the glory that surrounds this Christmas story. And so, you know, on the one hand, there's our culture, right? And everything that it makes Christmas about. And there's just so many things that you can be distracted by. Like the, the irony is, and you know, do you ever think about this? The irony is that even the Christmas movies that are about getting back to the Christmas spirit, don't earn the true meaning of Christmas. They don't really get back to the true meaning of Christmas. You ever think about that? And is that just me? Like, I'm like, why, why did, what? <laughs> that's, that's not really what this is about. It's about God. But 
Um, it's just interesting to me. And then on the other hand, you've got people, uh, many of you, I think, who, who really want to take time to reflect and, um, and really kind of go through the, the Advent calendar and, and do a lot of those things and think about it. But even as we're focusing on the Christmas story, it, it can be so familiar to us and we can just be so used to reading the same things that it can start to lose some of its meaning and we can start to lose sight of the glory that's really there. And so what we're doing this morning is I, I want us to kind of be taking an opportunity this morning to come with fresh eyes before the Christmas story as we go through Luke 2, to come with fresh eyes and think about what is this really saying about who God is, about what kind of a God we serve. And as you do that, I want you also to think about what does this say for my life? What are the implications of, of who God is through the story? What are the implications of that on my life? And how is God calling me uh, to change? And so I, I want you to think about that because that's what God is uh, revealing in the story, I think, is, is who he is and, and what parts of us, by implication, he wants to transform. Because God didn't come to earth like on some episode of Undercover Boss, right? Where he's just the, maybe the best episode of Undercover Boss ever, but where he's just kind of living, kind of under the radar, observing, and then like, ha I'm actually the boss. Like, I don't think that's the point. But rather, he came to change, to transform. Jesus came as our Savior to, to, to come and deliver us from our sin, and turn our eyes again to him. So that said, I want you to focus this morning on the glory of Jesus coming and to reflect on what he came to change in your life. And the idea to remember is simply this. You ready? Simply this. Don't miss the glory. As you go through this Christmas season, as you get some time with family, maybe as you have some downtime, uh, maybe you watch some Christmas movies, maybe, you know, whatever it is, maybe you go to the, the Christmas Eve service, whatever it is that you're doing, don't miss the glory of the story of God coming to earth. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, We're looking at Luke chapter 2, and as we move through the story, we're going to see a picture of humility, a glimpse of glory, and a response to that glory. So once again, a picture of humility, a glimpse of glory, if you're taking notes, and a response to that glory. So that said, let's get started. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So this story opens with this picture of humility and lowliness. And to really get that, you got to remember, this is the story of God coming to earth. So you read through the Old Testament, like just treat it like one big book, one big continued universe of stories, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we're reading, because it's all really God's plan for redemption in the story. And so you read through the Old Testament and you see how we're broken in our sin and God starts to uh, put in his plan for redemption to effect through Israel, how he left the earth because of our sin, but he's coming back and his presence is in the temple in Israel and how Israel is dropping the ball again and again. And it just becomes clearer and clearer that we need a savior, that we are stuck in our sin and we need someone to come and save us from our sin. And so that's what we're waiting for. And then you have all these prophets living and dying to make these prophets that come together to give this picture of 
this savior king who's going to come and deliver Israel and through Israel, really the entire world and how he's going to bear the sins of the world on himself so that we can be recreated into the sort of people that God made us to be. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're excited for. And then you, you flip over and you open up to Luke chapter one. In the beginning of the story, you see this angel Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her that she is going to bear the son of God. that She's going to give birth to the son of God. And so this is it. This is God's son. Like, this is who we're waiting for. He's coming to earth. How is that going to happen? You would think that the king of the world, the son of God, that he would come, that he would be born in a palace or that he would grow up in royalty, that he would have some level of, of kind of amenities that way. Or at the very least, you would think that things would go remotely well and smoothly. But this is the story we have, and it's, it's neither of those things. How, how does this story show us humility? Well, first, you see Mary is planning to have this child, and then there's this census, and now they have to travel uh, back to Joseph's hometown, which is Bethlehem. So they've got to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles based on the roads they would take. And so, yeah, we could just drive that today, but for them, they've got to walk. They've just got to go. You know, maybe they've got a donkey for Mary. I don't know. They're probably not very well off. And so they've got to figure out how are we going to make this 90-mile trip? It's going to take us a few days. Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough money? Well, how do we time it? Do we leave right now? When, when do we need to be there? We probably don't want to stay there longer than we need to. Uh, but at the same time, we want to get there in time. And then how does Mary's pregnancy fit into all this, right? Like, she's, she's carrying the Son of God. So we want to make sure, like, we're, we're really prioritizing that. And uh, are we going to have a place to stay? And, and all of these sorts of things to think through. Uh, and they're, they're probably freaking out because, you know, we don't want to, you know, have the time for labor come while we're on the road and it's the son of God and God's going to get mad at us probably like who knows, right? So let's make sure we get this right. We don't want to mess this up. And so then they go and they're traveling days. And so finally they're, they're on the road for days, right? They're walking. Mary's pregnant, very close to being due. It's hard. And so finally they get there. And if you've ever been on a long trip and you finally get to where you're going and you're just ready to just crash, right? Just, just be done and just sleep. And so they get there, and sure enough, Bethlehem is booked. It's packed, right? There's no place to stay. They're going everywhere, no place to stay, and there's no room for them. And Mary's looking at Joseph like, did you make reservations? And they're just, they have nowhere to stay. And so finally, they're able to stay in uh, some place with the animals. So some people say maybe this is a cave and like a stable. Other people would say probably more likely that this is actually in somebody's house on the main level, but... Uh, but with where the animals stayed, that in that time they would let animals stay with them in the house. Uh, and so, because that word in just means guest room. And so, you know, what is this? Is this an inn? Is it a guest room? What does that really look like? And so there's some debate there, but one thing is clear. They were staying with animals. So watch where you step, right? Like animals, we're not talking about puppies. We're talking about donkeys, right? And donkeys can make a lot more of a mess than puppies can. And so watch where you step, watch where you sit down, you know, don't fall down, be, be careful where you fall, I guess. And so all of those sorts of things. And, uh, and then really you get to the, the biggest piece of this. I think the biggest piece of this humility, which is, it says Mary gave birth to Jesus and then she laid him in a manger. Well, what's a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. Like, that's, the, that's just another word for a feeding trough. In fact, to be honest, I don't know why we're still translating this word manger in English, because when's the last time any of you used the word manger in a sentence not in reference to Jesus or the Bible or a Christmas song? Like, a manger is a feeding trough. And, and I think, you know, a lot of us, maybe we get that, but when you say manger, I don't think it has the same connotation that feeding trough does. So from this point on, I'm probably just going to say feeding trough 
to help us get the sense for what we're really talking about here. So they're with animals, and there's nowhere to set Jesus because if they put him on the floor, maybe he gets stepped on, maybe it's too crowded. And so it seems, what's clear here is that there's so little space that they have to set the king of the world, the son of God, in a feeding trough. What a picture of humility that is. Not in a palace, not even things going remotely well, but just hectic. How stressed would you be, right, if you were Mary and Joseph? Like, that's crazy. And, and the Son of God is in a feeding trough, displaced, crowded, um, the God of glory made to be a newborn infant in a feeding trough. Why does God come to earth in this humble way? Why do we see this picture of humility in the Christmas story of God coming to earth? I think it's clear just that this is God demonstrating for us a model of humility. It's a display of humility from our God, and it represents God coming near to us. God in all of his glory, transcendent, high, far above us, coming down to our level to be with us. Not just to our level like the wealthy, but really to be right among the poorest um, and, and most common people in that society, that he is right there with them. He is one of them. And he's going to be there to save them, to bear their sins in their place. And so it's this model. You can say, well, Jesus wasn't really being humble because he was a baby, right? Like, how can he, right? But exactly. And so, but, <laughs> sorry. But, uh, you know, you can still be humble. But uh, I, I think this is part of God's sovereign plan, right? Like God could have sent Jesus to, to the earth in any way. And so he elected to do it in this very most humble way. So it's this incredible display of humility by our God. So what are the implications of God's humility for your life? I think it's simply stop trying to grab glory. Let this be an example of humility, right? Let this be a model of humility for us. Don't try to grab, grab glory. And let me just say, I'm going to be the first to say, I love glory. Like I'm all about like, glory is great. Glory feels good. Does anyone with me? Does glory feel good? I think we all love glory but just in different ways. Like some of us, maybe you don't love the spotlight, but everyone wants to be looked up to in some way, in some form, to have some kind of a pride or a high view of yourself. We all have that, right? That's just basic in our nature. I think the, the desire for glory is as old as sin itself. Uh, you see it in Satan. You see it in the way that Satan tempts Adam and Eve to, to eat the forbidden fruit of the tree, to be like God. We always have this want for glory. And what does that do, though, that our, our hunger for glory, it takes our eyes off of God's glory and puts it on ourselves and on the people around us. And it takes other people's eyes off of God, and we're trying to put their eyes on us. And that's so broken, because when we do that, we miss the much greater glory of God. It's only when we get out of the way and get our eyes off of ourselves that we can start to see how infinitely glorious our God really is. Amen? And so the point I want to make here is that your humility positions you to experience God's glory. Your humility positions you to experience God's glory. And until we're humble, until we stop just trying to make our lives about us, we're, not, we're just going to be missing out on the much greater glory that is waiting us in God. And we're going to see next a glimpse of just how great that glory is. And we're also going to see how, um, how that happens for Joseph and Mary later in the story. So it's with this backdrop of humility that the story turns to give us a glimpse of that glory. So let's look at verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So again, I want us to notice how different this, this part of the story is than what we just read. We started out with this incredible display of humility, but now the story takes a turn to be what really is an incredible display of God's glory. We have this angel of the Lord, these shepherds are in the night going about their shepherd business, and then this angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shines around them, <clears throat> and they're filled with great fear, it says. So our depictions of angels, like we might get, okay, Jesus is in you know, maybe a cave or a stable or whatever. He's in a manger. And so we get the humility of the Christmas story to some extent. We probably still even downplay that. But our depictions of angels, I think, are way off, right? When's the last time any of you looked at a picture of an angel and were filled with great fear? Anyone? No, right? My entire life, I don't think I've seen a picture of an angel that filled me with great fear. Like, it just, it just never has. But that's what we see all throughout Scripture is Angels are constantly having to say, like, it's their introduction. It's, don't be afraid. Like, that's, that, they have to start with that because that's just the effect they have on us. And so um, we associate angels with beauty maybe, but not fear. So for the women in the room, if a guy ever says to you, you have a face like an angel, you can be like, oh, I fill you with great fear. <laughs> All right. So there are these shepherds going about their shepherd routine at night, and then there's this angel, and they're filled with great fear. The glory of the Lord shines around them. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I don't know. I picture him with a deep voice. He says, don't be afraid because I'm bringing you good news of great joy that's for all the people. What's the good news? It's that the promised savior king of Israel who's going to deliver Israel. And as we look back at the prophecies, we see really through Israel, he's going to deliver the world from sin. And he has finally come. God has come to earth. And, and that's going to be great. So the Savior King has been born, and he's in Bethlehem. He's right by you. You'll find him in a feeding trough. And the shepherds are like, okay, okay. And then he's like, you'll find him in a feeding trough. And they're like, a feeding trough? What? That's random. And so while they're processing that, all of a sudden, boom, more angels, right? There's this one angel. They're filled with great fear. And all of a sudden, there's a multitude of the heavenly hosts. When we see host like that in the Bible, it just means army. There's this multitude of God's army of angels that all show up. So whatever they were filled, however much they were filled with fear before, I don't even want to think about how they were expressing their fear at that point, although we could use our imagination. But they're uh, surrounded by this multitude of God's army of angels, and they're singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what started out as this incredibly humble display turned into this, this amazing, incredible display of God's glory. And it's, it's this supernatural glimpse of the glory of God. And yet it's just that it's just a glimpse. Like God himself isn't even present that we see, like it's not God being there. It's just his angels. And so what does that really tell us about how glorious our God is? And also it, it almost the way I kind of think about this is God wants to show us a picture of his humble love and, and a model of his humility through this birth story. But at the same time, it's almost like he can't contain just the excitement and the joy he has over his son being born to come and deliver the world from sin. And so he just sends the army of angels to come say, don't miss this. 
I want you to see, you have to know, you have to understand just how awesome this is. God is here. He's with you. You can go see him now. You can go touch him now. How amazing and mind-blowing that is that the God of glory is now here with us. He has come to us. How awesome is that? Go and find him and and tell people what you saw here. And so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that these shepherds, I don't know anything about them. These shepherds, I'm guessing before that angel showed up, they probably weren't sitting there contemplating the incomprehensible majesty of God's glory. They probably weren't like, wow, I can't even begin to think and, and understand just how great and awesome our God is. They were probably in the middle of their mundane shepherd night routine. I don't know everything that goes into it, but it doesn't sound like the most exciting job most nights. And so they're in the middle of that routine, but then all of a sudden they're just flooded with this uh, just awe and wonder uh, of God's incredible glory through this display of the angels. And so uh, the thing is, I think God was, is that even though they had this sudden appreciation, God was actually as amazing and as glorious the entire time. So it's not a question of, was it more worthwhile for them to start praising and glorifying in God afterwards, but rather it was merely a question about their perception. Just God was as glorious the whole time, but before they just didn't see it. They, were, they weren't understanding that. They weren't uh, aware of, and, and it wasn't in front of them just how amazing God is. But then they got this glimpse, and it absolutely changed how they were thinking about it. And they went out from there praising and worshiping and glorifying God. And so I think probably one of the most underrated and downplayed consequences of our sin is the way in which it blinds us to the glory of God. I don't, I don't think we really appreciate that. We can't, we can't appreciate what we're missing. We can't see and understand just how much we're not seeing because we just miss out on it. And so what can happen is you can, you can start to go about your life and think, okay, well, I, I'm gonna, it's going to be about this, it's going to be about that, and I still want to worship God. And you can think maybe you're, maybe you're worshiping God plenty. Maybe you pray all night. Maybe you, you sing worship songs every single day, and you think that's it. I'm worshiping God plenty But the reality is you can't worship him enough because of how great he is. And it's not a moral thing. It's not like, oh, I ought to worship him more. But rather, if you could just see and know and understand just how great your God is, you wouldn't stop praising him. You wouldn't stop celebrating him. You would be so continually excited and joyful. Amen? And so I think this glimpse of glory that we see here is a reminder to us how great our God is and how we can be continually just joyful and praising and excited about all of who he is, especially through what he's doing in this Christmas story, which is coming to us uh, and, and letting being born in Bethlehem, the son of God, Jesus the Christ, who's going to save us from our sin, which means that we can spend an eternity with that glorious God. So there's great joy for you through the gospel as Jesus restores you to God and wakes you up to his awesome glory. And so I think there's just an opportunity for us to think and reflect here where in your life, in the routines that you have, in the spiritual disciplines that you have, whatever it is, where in your life is there room for you to be touched by the awe and wonder of God's glory? Where in your life are you, are you kind of going about your, your routine and whatever it is, and, and maybe it's great, but, but it's not touched by the glory of God that if, if he just showed up with an army of angels, it would absolutely turn on its head the way that you live your life, the way that you think, the way that you act, what you do. I think this is an opportunity for us to reflect on that and, and think about um, where there's room for, for God's glory for us. 
So, so far, we, we saw this model of humility and display of glory, and now the story concludes with the response to that display of glory. So, let's look at verse 15. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so when the angels are gone, we see the shepherds, they're quaking in fear, and they say to themselves, maybe we should go check this out, right? You know, why are they saying that? Well, one, probably because they're interested, but two, maybe if we don't, the angels will come back, and nobody wants that. So let's, let's get out of here. Let's go. Uh, and so they go, they check it out. Uh, they go find Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And so when Joseph and Mary are in the inn or house or whatever with Jesus in a feeding trough, they're probably sitting there like, man, there's no way this day gets crazier, right? And the next thing you know, the shepherds are busting through the door saying, hey, excuse me, uh, random question. Does there happen to be a baby in a feeding trough in here? And sure enough, they see him and they fall down and they start worshiping him. Can you imagine being there? Like, what is this? You're in the middle of this picture of humility. Sometimes when, when life is hard, when, when we just get caught up in our surroundings, we lose sight of the God that we serve and just how present he is with us. And I'm sure that was the case for Mary and Joseph, that they weren't looking at this baby in a feeding trough thinking this is going to be an image that people celebrate and remember for millennia to come. Like, no way. But, but they, they, <laughs> the shepherds burst in and they're, they're worshiping Jesus and they're telling Mary and Joseph and really everyone else who's there everything that they saw and heard and everything that happened. And everyone's like, what? Like, no way. And they're all worshiping Jesus. And then it says, Mary pondered these things in her heart. And when the shepherds left, uh, they were glorifying and praising God like they hadn't been before. And the story ends with Mary and Joseph naming the child Jesus. The significance there is that Jesus is a translation of the Greek name, Jesus. It's how you say Jesus in Greek. And that's a translation of the Hebrew name, Yeshua which means God is deliverance or God rescues or God saves. And so what, what, what's very clear is people who read the story in the original context, I'm sure understand that they're reading this and they're saying, okay, this is, this is our savior. This is it. God saves. He's, he's going to save us. He's going to save us from our sin. A savior is born. And that is so much of the glory of this story is that the savior is here. So with the birth of Christ, it, it's like it's sealed. It's, 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 uh, it's clear. There's no way God's going back. He's done it. He has sent his son to be on earth to save us. And that's, it's a sure thing that that is coming, that that is going to happen. And we can place our faith in that. And so I want us to look at that and to remember that this is a sure sign that God's salvation is coming for us that I think for so many of us, it already has come in, in justification for our sin that we have um, been born again, that we have had our eyes awakened again to the God's glory, at least in part. And we can see who he is and have a relationship with him. And that's great, but don't get lost in whatever mundaneity, mundaneity, mundaneness, I don't know, of your life uh, that you have now, but instead be thinking, what does God have yet in store for me? 
What does God have yet in store for you? There is so much joy waiting for you in him. And there's so much that he has even in your life right now that you might not be seeing. And so I just want to wrap up with us thinking about that main idea. Don't miss the glory. God is here. That's what the name of Emmanuel means. It's, it's God with us. God in his infinite glory has humbled himself to come be with us. So altogether, this story is an invitation to come and worship. And this, this holiday season, I want us to really feel that invitation. Come and worship God and reflect on just what you can, how you can worship him more, how you can more give your entire self, your entire heart to him, how you can better lay down your life in response to his glory. So is your life characterized by continual worship? Do you have this actual, I'm not talking about like, like religious worship of like, oh, I ought to praise God more, so I'm going to sing songs and it's a good thing. No, I'm talking about excitement. Like you are actually excited and, and, and just enamored with God. How, how excited you are to know and love him that you're just, yeah, all of it. That's, that's, I think, why we see why does God send an angelic army and record it in the Bible for us? Why isn't this just a story of humility? It's so that we wouldn't miss the glory. So that we wouldn't look at the person of Christ and we, again, I think in our nativity scenes, we nail and at least to some extent we get the humility. That's great. But I think our, our understanding of the glory falls way too short. Like there should be so many lights that you just couldn't even really look at it. And I think that would be a more realistic uh, depiction of, of the glory that's there. And so as everyone else is wrapping their lives all around what they're watching or who they're dating or what their kids are accomplishing or career or financial opportunities, don't miss out on the opportunity you have to come and worship and experience more and more the awesome glory of your God. And so as we close, I want to invite you again to reflect on which parts of your life could be touched by God's glory. What does it look like? How do we, how do we invite God to touch those parts of our lives? I think humility is the primer for glory. Where, where we can find those areas of our lives where, man, I just, I don't have this, this worship for God. I don't have this sense of his glory. Maybe that's a place for you to humble yourself and take your eyes off of yourself, whether it's, whether it's on other things that you're trying to replace God with to satisfy your heart, whether it's on yourself and, and how great you think you are, or probably for more of us on how ashamed you are of yourself. I know some godly people who are just like me. And so in, in that, they they want to follow God and worship him and lay down their life for him. And yet they're just so caught up in shame over things in their life that that's just not for you to do. Jesus came so that you could be free from all of that. He came so that you could give all of that to him. Amen. And so let's, let's take this as an opportunity to let Jesus again, be your savior and cast all of that onto him and, and just come and humble yourself before him and say, God, I need you. I want you come intervene in these parts of my life where I've wandered away from you and just surround me with your glory. Flood me with a sense and awe and wonder of your glory. Something we can try to do in, in different ways. And so I just want to invite you, however that is to reflect on where it is that you're blind to God's glory and ask him to shine his glory all around you and fill you with an appreciation of his good news of great joy, which is Jesus, the savior of the world who has come to us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this beautiful, amazing story. And I just pray that as we reflect in this time that you would open our eyes to how great you are.
uh, in this season, God, that we would just go forward and continue to reflect on how great you are and your awesomeness. And just let that uh, lead us to you uh, and lead us before you in, in worship and prayer. And uh, Lord, I pray also just in the year to come that this church would be all the more characterized by worship. That if there's one thing that people know us for, it would be our love, our love for you, which flows out into a love for the people around us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name.